You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. are lots of ways that we know Christmas is near. The days get shorter, the weather cools down, or at least it's supposed to, but I don't think North Carolina really got that memo. Everything is decorated in reds and greens and golds, and I'll admit my email inbox is flooded with sales and coupons because everyone is shopping for Christmas presents at this time of year. But my favorite way to know that Christmas is near is that the music has changed. Instead of generic pop music in stores or on the radio, it's all the holly jolly songs of the season. And I want to know from you what your favorite Christmas songs are. This is not a rhetorical question. You can really say them out loud. Oh, Holy Night. That's been said in all three services because it is the best. (laughs) What else? Mary, did you know? Yeah. Little Drummer Boy. God rest you, merry gentlemen. Silent Night. Any others? No? Okay. So we've talked about our favorite Christmas songs. What about your least favorite Christmas songs? The Chipmunks. Chipmunks version of anything. Least favorite. Okay, okay. (laughs) What else? I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. You're the first one to say that. That's, That's a good one. It's a good one. Anything else? Songs that you're like, oh, God. That's that one again. Someone has said grandma got run over by a reindeer in all three services. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's lots of songs that are really near and dear to us that we love, and there are songs that we just roll our eyes and maybe change the radio station when they come on. For many years, my least favorite Christmas songs were It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. And there's no place like home for the holidays. And I know this is a mood shift and probably not what you were expecting me to say. But before you write me off as a Scrooge, hear me out. This time of year has always been complicated for me. Because of my difficult life growing up and strained relationships with home and family, I honestly always dreaded the holiday season because it meant I had to participate in this fake merriment with people I didn't really want to be around. Between Thanksgiving and my birthday in late November and then Christmas and New Year's a month later, there was so much stress around trying to keep the peace, but also trying to take care of myself, trying to empathize with and honor another person, but also not allowing them to hurt me anymore. And when I finally moved away for college, I knew I was not going to be able to come back home. And so I would just stay, uh, I would just stay on campus as much as I could. But over winter break, the dorms were closed. So I would spend December and early January couch surfing or house sitting if I could swing it. There was no home for the holidays. 
And even though a lot of things in my life have gotten easier since my mom passed away a few years ago, the anniversary of her death is still in December, which adds this whole other level of complication to an already complicated time of year. Simply put, this has never felt like the most wonderful time of year for me. And I know I'm not the only one who feels that way. Your story is probably different, but grief is very real for so many people at this time of year. Maybe you've lost a loved one and you're thinking about all the traditions that just won't be the same. The laughter you won't share, the smile you won't see, the the hugs that won't embrace you. Maybe you're thinking about the football you had watched together or the ornaments you'd put on the tree or the recipes you'd bring out for Christmas dinner. Or maybe your grief is taking a different form. Maybe it's not the loss of a loved one, but the fact that the year is ending and you still haven't achieved that goal you set for yourself. Maybe things haven't panned out the way you wanted or needed. You didn't get that job or promotion that you were relying on. You didn't mend that relationship you hoped could be fixed. Grief takes all forms, and during the holiday season, it seems to be at its most profound. Yet at the same time that people are experiencing so much grief, this is also the time of year when people are most likely to pretend that they're okay, even when they're not. There's so much to celebrate. There's so many festivities. And so maybe we get insecure and we don't want to admit that we're really falling apart on the inside. Or maybe you're worried that, oh, there must be something wrong with me if I'm not filled with Christmas cheer. Or maybe you feel like, I don't have it bad enough, so who am I to complain? It could always be worse. Or maybe you're already feeling burdened by your own grief and you're worried about burdening other people, so you keep it all to yourself. Grief is so real at this time of year, and it affects us in many ways. And so, as we're in our Advent series, the question for us today is, how is it possible that God's promise of peace could be fulfilled for us who are grieving? Often when we talk about Advent, we talk about all of its surprises, the way that God shows up in people and places where we wouldn't expect. But our Advent series this year is actually looking at the other side of that coin and seeing how Christmas is exactly what God said God would do, even if it shows up in ways we don't expect. So we trust that somehow the hope, peace, joy, and love that God has promised us are being fulfilled even now even as we grieve. And as we focus on peace today, we have to turn back to our scripture to see how peace can coexist with grief. So if you have a Bible with you, or if you want to pull a device out, our scripture today comes from Isaiah chapter 40. It's one of our longer books of the Bible, and it actually spans hundreds of years in the time from when Isaiah 1 was written to Isaiah 66. Probably multiple authors contributed to writing this book, but I'm just going to call the author Isaiah for simplicity. Now the first 
39 chapters of Isaiah. So over half of the book are focused on judgment. They're focused on Israel suffering the consequences of its own actions. God has called Israel to be a people set apart, to be different, but they want to be like all the other nations. They want a king. They want to participate in these foreign alliances. And sure enough, those alliances go south, and when the Babylonians attack, they are totally ransacked. The temple is destroyed. Jerusalem falls to the Babylonians. And so Isaiah has spent 39 chapters warning the people that this was going to happen, and they were going to end up living in exile. They were going to end up facing the consequences of their own actions if they didn't get it together and do what God had called them to do. So we've got 39 chapters of judgment and warning, and then it makes this really abrupt shift to chapter 40, where all of a sudden the words are comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak compassionately to Jerusalem. They don't even mention the exile. If you're reading it through, we've got this pre-exile, and then all of a sudden in chapter 40, we're like towards the end of the exile. So the exile's not over yet, but we don't even mention it. And it kind of reminds me of honestly what we are doing right now with the pandemic as we head into year four of living with COVID in our midst. And there are no movies, no books, no TV shows that are dramatizing life in the pandemic. We're just kind of skipping past it. Like we all know the effect that it has had on us. We know the grief that has come out of it, come out of the pandemic. And we just don't even feel like we need to go back there. We need to skip ahead to comfort and peace. And that's what Isaiah is doing here in chapter 40. The exile is not over yet, but everybody knows the pain that it has wrought on the people. Everybody knows how much grief is surrounding them. There's no time for Isaiah to say, I told you so. There's not even time for Isaiah to say, oh, it's about to be over. Because if you keep reading the book, the exile is almost over. The people will be delivered. That's not the peace that the people need in that moment. What they need are these tender words spoken softly to a wounded Jerusalem. Comfort, comfort my people, says God. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It's not that Isaiah is saying, hang tight, there's going to be peace because we're going to get out of here. What Isaiah is saying is that God's peace can reach you even now, even in your grief, even in your suffering, even before this trial is over, God's peace is coming to you. Prepare the way for God to come in to you. If you've ever seen a performance or even listened to Handel's Messiah, one of the most iconic pieces of Christmas music, it begins this way. Comfort. Comfort is coming. Those are the first words of Handel's Messiah. Comfort is on the way. Your God is coming. Your God is on the move. But can you imagine... For the people of Israel standing in exile, how hard that would have been to believe. 
You can proclaim peace all you want, but it's not going to take away the pain of the exile. There were Israelites who lived their entire lives, decades in exile, born in exile, died in exile, never knowing anything different than exile and not being able to imagine anything else. And I know that there are people in this room who feel that same way. Like one hard thing happens and then another and then another and then another. If it's not this, then it's that. And you feel like you just can't seem to catch a break. And maybe you start to wonder if God really cares, if God really knows, if God's promise of peace is really for you, if God is going to come back at all. You would not be the first to wonder that. The Israelites have been there, and Isaiah speaks peace to them in that situation. This isn't some pie-in-the-sky kind of comfort. This is a wilderness-wandering type of peace. It's the kind of peace that comes from saying, hey, the same God who wandered with us in exile, in the wilderness, in Exodus, that's the same God who is coming even now. This is the kind of peace that says you don't have to leave the wilderness for God to be with you. You don't have to leave the wilderness to draw near to God's peace. God is making a highway that is coming to you, not just to take you out of the wilderness, but to meet you in it. That is the power of this passage and the good news of peace for us today. Comfort is coming, and it's coming in the wilderness. You see, grief does not prevent us from experiencing peace. Naming our pain does not mean that God is not near and nothing proclaims that truth better than the Christmas story itself. Jesus' own birth. Mary is 39 weeks pregnant, traveling all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem where Jesus is born. She gives birth in some stall in a barn because that's the only place for her. There's no family around to dote on baby Jesus, to take care of Mother Mary. There's no one there to celebrate with them. There's no one there to surprise them with joy and life in, this midst, in the midst of hardship. And then, if that's not enough, Herod wants to murder Jesus. And so now the family has to flee to Egypt. They are refugees in a foreign land, escaping danger. The Christmas story itself doesn't sound very peaceful. And yet, when the angels visit the shepherds in the field to invite them in to this holy mess... They say, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace. How is it possible that peace is reaching them even then, even in that moment that is mixed with joy and grief? I think there's a reason why Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers in the Beatitudes. Not blessed are those who feel at peace because their lives are going smoothly and there's no chaos. Blessed are the peacemakers 
makers, the ones who know that peace is not just something we passively receive when life is going well, but those who make peace, those who choose peace. They choose it for themselves. They choose to share it with others. They show up for one another. They care for one another. They make the best that they possibly can, even when that means they have to stop and name their pain. Blessed are the peacemakers. And if you are finding yourself in a similar spot, finding yourself celebrating Christmas that is this mix of good news and also grief, I want to offer an analogy for you. There's this analogy that our life is like a box. And inside that box, there's this little pain button. Because no life is free from pain. I'm sure we all know this by now. And also inside that box is a ball. And this ball represents our grief. Now, sometimes that ball is small. Sometimes things are going well. Sometimes that ball can just move around freely inside the box, and it can bounce off the walls, and it can be in the middle, and it's never going to hit that pain button. But sometimes that ball is really, really big. It seems to take up the whole space of our life in this box. And that ball can't go anywhere without pushing the pain button. This is what happens at this time of year. Our grief ball gets bigger and bigger as we are barreling towards a holiday that is supposed to be shared with someone who's not here, that we're supposed to take out a place setting that won't be used this year, that we're supposed to fill a stocking with someone's favorite treats and they won't be able to eat them. This is the ball that gets bigger when we see other people share pictures of their Christmas trees that are just flooded with presents and we know we are struggling to make ends meet and we won't be able to get our kids the gift that they so desperately want. Our grief ball gets bigger and bigger at this time of year. And so even if you are not grieving this year, I would bet that you are sitting in a row with somebody who is. Grief is so real around the holidays. And so I want to offer a few tips to care for those who are grieving. If there's someone in your life who is grieving, the first thing you can do to care well for them is to say something. Acknowledge the pain. Acknowledge the hurt. Sometimes we get nervous and we don't want to bring it up because it's just going to make them sad. Or maybe we feel like we don't know what to say and so we don't say anything at all. But the fact of the matter is not saying anything makes people feel alone, isolated, unseen, unloved, like nobody knows or cares what's going on. There is no sentence, there is no Bible verse that's going to magically take the pain away. Even though you love them so much and you would do anything to take it away, there is nothing that's going to fix it. So say something. Acknowledge the pain. Say, hey, I know this time of year is hard for you and I'm with you. Let them know you care by reaching out. And when you do reach out, be honest. You don't have to have a script for every scenario. You don't have to know exactly what to say based on how they're feeling. You just need to be present. And you can be honest and say, I don't know what to say. 
I know that nothing I say is going to fix this, but I love you, and I'm here for you if you want someone to talk to. The other thing that you can do is follow up. There's a huge rush of condolences immediately after something bad happens, but the effects of grief last a lifetime. It's one of the things I love about this grief ball analogy. The ball doesn't ever go away, but it does change shape and size over time. Sometimes grief softens as we get farther away, and sometimes it feels just as sharp and painful as it ever did. So let people know that you're in it with them for the long haul. Check in again in a month, three months, six months. Check in on anniversaries, birthdays, holidays, death anniversaries. Let them know that their pain is not invisible. You see them. You are speaking words of comfort and compassion, speaking peace into their lives. You just might be the road by which God's peace is able to reach them in the wilderness. Now, if you're going to say something, I also want to lift up some things you should not say. Sometimes we resort to platitudes because we don't know what to say. It's uncomfortable to sit in pain. And so we say things like, everything happens for a reason, or God needed another angel. And and I know that comes from a place of trying to make sense of it. But what it really sounds like is God did this to you on purpose. I don't know what kind of God that is, but that's not the God that I worship. Sometimes we say things like, oh, it'll get better because we know it's been going on forever and we don't want them to give up hope. And maybe it's true. Maybe that pain will soften and it will get a bit better over time. But in the moment, it just feels dismissive. When we're caring for people who are grieving, we have to manage our own pain and our own anxiety first. Sometimes these things come up because we just are at a loss for words and we don't know how to fill the silence. It's okay to let it be there. It's okay to show them that you are present. That is the good news that Isaiah offers these people in their wilderness and the good news that we are offered today. God is coming to be with you, even here, even now, even in this pain that feels like it will never end. Nothing is too big for God to hold. No pain is too deep for God to reach you. No wilderness is too far for you to be surrounded by peace. And if you are the one who is grieving during this holiday season, these tips apply for you too. If you are grieving, you also have to say something. People can't care for you if they don't know that something is wrong. Let other people in. Let them see that you're hurting. Let them know what you need. It's okay if you don't know what you need, but let people know. Let people know that you're grieving. Be honest with yourself and with others. There's no one right way to feel during the holiday season. You don't have to pretend you have it all together. You don't have to put on a brave face for the sake of others. You can be honest. You can be honest with yourself, and you can be honest with God. 
It's okay to pray that prayer that asks, God, how could you possibly let this tragedy happen? You wouldn't be the first and you won't be the last. You will join a cloud of witnesses from the psalmist who say, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Will you turn your face from me? You'll be like the people in Lamentations, lamenting, saying that there is just absolutely nothing good left. You'll be like Job who says, God, how could you do this to me? I've been nothing but faithful, and yet you let me suffer. It is not only okay, but it is holy and faithful to be honest with God, to share your grief, to name your pain, to not pretend like it's okay when it's not. And lastly, if you are the one grieving, don't be afraid to seek out professional help. There's a lot we can do for ourselves and for others to soften the effects of grief, but nothing compares to talking with a professional who's trained to teach you coping strategies and offer support for you. And if this feels intimidating or even impossible, let me be the first to tell you I'm preaching this sermon just as much for me as I am for you. A huge season of grief is behind me, but there's another one knocking at my door already. Many of you know that I've been taking care of my grandpa, and there is so much to grieve as aging runs its course. And this week in particular has been very difficult, and I've been doing everything I just said. I've been saying something. I've been reaching out to my friends, letting them know something was wrong. I was being honest about the fact that I was struggling, and I was experiencing all these big feelings, and and I just found myself at a point saying, oh my gosh, like, I need to go to therapy. This is far beyond the scope of what I can carry, of what you can carry as my friends. They did their best to make a way for God's peace to come in, but it was too much for us to hold. And so I reached out. I reached out. I prepared the way for the Lord. I made an appointment with my therapist. In the wilderness, I made straight a highway for God to come in and find me and speak tender words of comfort and peace to my wounded soul. I'll close here. Band, you can go ahead and come on up. Embracing our grief does not mean we can't experience peace. In fact, embracing our grief is usually the first step to experiencing peace at all. Opening up about our grief opens a way for God to come in. Friends, peace is not something we just passively receive when everything is going smoothly. Sometimes, and especially when we find ourselves in seasons of wilderness, we have to put a hard hat on and grab a sledgehammer and start carving out a road for God's peace to come in, for God's peace to meet us, even here, even now. The promise of peace this Advent is not that nothing will go wrong. It's not that nothing will ever hurt us. Jesus' own birth that we are celebrating is proof of that. The promise of peace this Advent is that there is no wilderness too far for God to come and find us. There is no pain so deep that God cannot surround us in comfort 
There is no grief, no hardship, no suffering, nothing that you are going through is too big for God to hold. God's peace is for you, even today, even in this, even in whatever is to come. And as we prepare to share communion today, I want you to think about this bread and juice, not as bread and juice that you just passively receive, but as the spiritual gravel and tar that paves the way for God's highway, for God to come in and find you in the desert, find you in the wilderness. Sharing communion is one of the ways that we prepare the way for the Lord. It's one of the ways that we actively seek peace. We live peace. We let God's peace fill us so that it spills out from us and we can share it with everyone around us. As we approach this table today, it's even in the grief of Christ's own suffering that peace reaches us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.com dot org.